0: Hey, it's Nick Foy with the There's So Much We Don't Know podcast. You're about to hear part two of our conversation with David Zweig. There's so much we don't know about how to write a book. Thanks so much for tuning in. What were editors saying when you would come to them with an idea?
1: Well, I think I just kept going to my guy at Wired because at that point yeah. I was like, look, no one else is even like touching this. You know, it's so like bizarrely third rail or something like people no one's even going near this so had i seen other articles you know kind of maybe not specifically what i was writing but even in that direction then maybe i would have felt you know more confidence to like go back to some people at the times or wherever else but no it's still when the wired piece came out it was great like it got a huge amount of attention which was awesome but it was still just one tiny tiny little voice you know in this hard thing and the attention was like what I like to say is, I mean, this is my, you know, my perception of it when I was seeing on Twitter and stuff, it was like 80% of the people were just kind of, you know, right wing Republican, you know, I think like, I don't know, Ann Coulter was tweeting it and Brit Hume and other people um, and Rand Paul, I think maybe it, I, I may be mixing up, but in my early articles and first it was all, it was them. And then the other 20% were academics, just funny. So you have like, who, you know, at least superficially probably were quote, you know, liberal. So it was like 80% of the people were just like, you know, Fox, right wing sort of people like, yeah, fuck you, Fauci. Take with this <laughs> article. Check um, out what David wrote in Wired. Right. And the other 20% were like some epidemiologists or could have been economists, other people who had advanced degrees who work in the academy. And they're like, huh, you should look at this. You know, they're retweeting it. And yeah. then I started hearing from those people. So it was interesting to see this dynamic, but the this sort of mainstream professional class liberal were completely absent, you know, just like someone who might be my neighbor or something like that. They were just totally uninterested. And then, yes, Megan, you asked. I mean, of course, then I was, you know, called every name in the book and heard like
2: I went back and read them again. I mean, I know I read all of them at the time, you know, but like mm-hmm. the first one I read, like the case reopening schools and nothing in there was political. Like, nothing. I mean, it was like, here's data and facts. These schools are opening. You know, nothing was political. But if you talked about opening schools, you had an article on, um, like, not offering a remote option. Why are we vaccinating teachers and still keeping schools closed? You know, masks. Like, all of this stuff. And if you even saw that headline, you were a right-wing, crazy, selfish, I'm actually just. This-
0: Disagree with you, Megan, that Wired article, the very top, there's a picture of Governor Cuomo, and it's not a very uh, appealing picture of him. Uh So it was, there was some, which I'm sure you didn't
1: ask to have it. No, no. Cuomo's (laughs) head at the top of the yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: You're not supposed to ever disagree with me. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. (laughs) No, but okay, the picture, I'll give you that. But I'm saying if you really read the substance of the article, it's not, the whole thing became... So political, obviously. I mean, I was called things in my life that I was never called, you know, um, just because I was like, we need to do something. I'm not good at any data, anything like that. I mean, I'm pulling files. I'm making graphs of this is the age groups that are affected. This is not, I mean, as a mom who is desperate because you're seeing your kids at home and you know that this isn't working and you're trying to do the best you can. And then these people are calling you selfish and you're raising kids that don't care because you don't want to have them go to school masked and all of this stuff. So like I said, and I just want to reiterate again, someone like you, like for me as a mom, I was just like, thank you. Because I mean, I was sending these to everybody. Cause I'm like, and I like, I like to write. I'm obviously not a writer, but you know, I like to write and I write, but so I feel like I would try to get my point across good. And people were like, you write this really well, but you know, I have no background in anything. So I would send your things like, look, this, this is, this is public, <laughs> you know, cause you're so desperate at the time. And I just wanted So uh, I was like, am I going to get emotional when I see him on here? Because I'm like, thank you. Because Ladies
1: are always misty-eyed when they first uh, see me on the Zoom.
2: (laughs) But honestly, because it was a really dark time. It was a really, you're trying to do the best for your kids. And you're seeing all of the craziness in the world. And it's hard enough being a parent. And then you have all of this thrown at you. Mm -hmm. And so it was just when all of this started coming out, I was just, it was like the sense of relief like somebody's validating what I'm feeling. Yeah.
1: So I guess the weird that the trajectory it's like right it started with like wait a minute why are kids in Europe in school and we're not here like what's going on with that and then From there, right, then I think the next thing I wrote was like, okay, well, when they do open schools, supposedly, in the fall, they want to do what? Wait a minute, what? They want, like, my kid to sit inside of, like, a barrier? What is all this shit? Like, what's going on? Again, okay, let me look. What evidence do we have that this is going to be beneficial? You know, um, I just started looking at this stuff. So I kept everything connected in my mind to, like, what was happening. In the fall, I wrote a piece for New York Magazine about there were schools like in my county that were open full time. And I'm like, well, why are they open full time? It's not because you'll hear a long list of arguments about why we can't be compared to Europe. You know, oh, that's in a, it's Denmark. That's different. So you hear all these things. I get into that. In the, but well, this was in our county and they were the same kind of socioeconomic kind of demographics of these other towns where their schools are open full time. And I'm like, I need to write about that, like, like what possible justification could there be for like, I get it, it was incorrect, but I could at least superficially understand when Mm -hmm. someone said, oh, well, that's in Europe, that's too different for X, Y, or Z reason. But when you have a kid like down the street in school (laughs) every day and your kid is not, that really made me think like what the hell's going on? So I I had an editor there who fortunately was like, yeah, this is a great topic. Let's write about like, because I wanted to show readers and people, this can work, this can happen. What are they doing differently? You know, is this stuff even necessary? But regardless, like, how is this possible? We've come, like, I don't think people have reckoned with how crazy it is that you had kids in school in one place and then like down the block My kids were that.
0: That was my kids when I put them into the Catholic school. Right.
1: Whether it's private schools or even, I would say even worse, like other public schools. Other public schools, right. You know, like there was so I'm trying to kind of show people like what is happening. And then that same trajectory goes through with the various, you know, mitigations. Like in the, the thing that you were talking about, Megan, with the early articles was like when I wrote the piece on masks for New York magazine that was when a lot of people contacted me (laughs) thank you they're like you know I didn't know all the data I didn't but like you put together this comprehensive thing and I think that was generally considered the first or one of them whatever not that it matters but like something in a major sort of respected publication where it was just like a full-throated argument for saying, what the fuck is going on here with this stuff? Right. And it was just like, I try to think of myself sometimes as a lawyer, just like I'm making a case. How do I make the case for what I'm arguing? It's, and I don't know the term, but that's like my, I think it's my area of expertise or certainly what I enjoy doing. I think I'm good at it, which is like, it's, I'm not just like a beat reporter who's writing about thing. I generally have a viewpoint, but it's an argued viewpoint with research and data. It's an argued essay where I'm trying mm-hmm. to explain something about that's going on. And so with that anyway, I just in my mind I view all this stuff as of a piece. Like it all makes sense together. It's yeah. like one thing is happening, it seems like it doesn't make sense. <laughs> and for some reason and people just aren't at least people on the quote like kind of like legacy, prestige, media outlets aren't writing about this. And once again, Every time I was like so nervous, someone else is going to write this, I'm going to get scooped. Again, not that being first matters, better to be right than to be first, but I was like, so, and once again, no one else, you know, wrote it. Now, of course, over time, things have shifted, thank God, dramatically over time, but each one of these things was like totally third rail to write about, Um, and I was very fortunate to have some editors who, you know, I won't get into it, but I will say this, within various publications, there often can be significant pushback. Like, what people don't realize is a lot of the work of writing the pieces, of course, is in doing the research and the writing and the editing stuff of the piece itself, but there's a whole other thing that happens, which is managing sort of like internal pushback and having an advocate for your work you know, within an organization who has enough juice within the place to push back against colleagues who are very, very mm-hmm. emotional and very much against what you're doing. So that's like a whole other thing that happens yeah. in many of these articles that, of course, the average person doesn't need to know about. It's not that the thing just comes out, but there's not always, but there oftentimes is a thing that's occurring. Um so I consider myself fortunate. I think I've shown, I mean, none of my articles have ever been retracted. I've never had some sort of major correction or anything. Yeah. I think I've shown, I make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. So I'm sure right. someone's going to find errors in you know my pieces. I'm sure there will be errors in my book because that's just what happens. But with that said, I just try to be incredibly meticulous. And, you know, so I think I've shown to these people that they have confidence in me. When this guy is, when Dave is doing it, like we know he's not, full of shit you know like there's right. something here even if other people may disagree with them at least it's a legitimate uh viewpoint to put
0: i assume that um this whole process for you has um caused people to it's created perceptions for people about your political viewpoints i would imagine uh, have, i yes. have, i, mean, have, I was have people sort of like yeah. started yeah putting you in the MAGA camp and that sort of thing
1: i mean yeah <laughs> i mean my friends i'm like in this group of like guy friends who i've known for like Twenty something years, some of them others for like from childhood. But we're in this group of like I don't know six guys, and like after some of my articles have come out, that you know it's just like, "One, well, are you in the Proud Boys now? Are you like a Trump? You know, just <laughs> like, are you like a tr-? Trumper now? Hey, Dave, where's your MAGA hat?" So it's like you know they're yeah. just giving me shit. But it does show me how like you know the average liberal. You know if, if you're what I've learned is, and I can't believe I didn't realize this, but it's like you know, generally, liberals are no more wise than conservatives. They are no less prone to tribal sort of like group, you know, like identity think. And most people just are not Critical thinkers, and by the way, I get it. Most people have have a job; they're doing stuff. You're working in finance. You you run a business. Uh-huh. You don't have time to look up all this shit, you know. But that's what I'm here for, you know, because I like doing this <laughs> stuff, and this is I'm getting paid for it. Not a lot, but I'm getting paid. <laughs> <and so laughs> doing this, so I have like a strong amount of understanding and sympathy for why a regular person would not be informed. Um, what I don't have sympathy for is media other journalists who didn't make any effort and still don't and you know to to actually look at e- examine
0: an issue yeah
1: yeah let's look at it because so frustrating is yes like people of course or are, are you know think I'm a trump supporter or something you know, whatever just because but that's obviously idiot because that's someone who's not thinking they're just like you're on the wrong side of this issue but i'm like did you read what i wrote did you read and are you actually looking at this study are you actually yeah. and it's the did same. you be more
0: specific about like what's wrong with the this oh
1: you're saying that's what i should say to that right you yeah, yeah, yeah. can't be specific <laughs> because the average person yeah. doesn't give a shit about specifics the average person they're they're not thoughtful and again i have a, a fair amount of of uh, sympathy for that or understanding and saying like, okay, I get it like that. People are just living their lives, doing their thing. But what's frustrating is I p- have a lot of my, my blame and ire, I think for journalists um, who I think there is um, when the um, what's it called when, when there were camp guidelines that the CDC put out, um, not for this, but for the, you know, a couple summers ago and I looked at them and I saw that they wanted kids to wear masks outdoors. I was like, what? Because we already knew at that time, everyone, it was a well-known thing. Like, you're not likely to get COVID, you know, outside. This is highly unlikely. And moreover, kids are already at incredibly low risk, even if they get it. Like, you know, it's not a huge deal. You don't want your kid to get sick, but not the end of the world if they get it generally. But the likelihood of getting it. So if you're at a summer camp, I'm like, what the fuck? This is so crazy. So I immediately start texting a couple of my kind of infectious disease contacts and i emailed um a few people who i didn't know but just kind of like cold pitched them there's uh, dimitri Christakis, who is the editor-in-chief of JAMA pediatrics and i'm like hey what well, well, you know what do you think about this and he was like yeah this is and think the word that he used with me was this is these are draconian draconian measures this doesn't make any sense and so the interesting thing is once again by the way same story i'm like oh, my God, I'm going to get scooped. Everyone's going to be writing how crazy these guidelines are. Like, I'm not even going to be able to write the article. My editor's going to kill the piece because (laughs) there's going to be five other articles saying how to do it. And of course, each day ticks by, no one's writing it. And instead, there was a huge piece in the Times, amongst many other places, I'm sure, but I distinctly remember there was a piece in the Times where it was something where it was like, the CDC guidelines for camper out. We talked to three experts to tell you how to keep your kids safe. And it was like just all of a sudden they're like, okay, your kid needs to, you know, whatever, take a PR yeah. bath and to you know wear yeah. their mask. And so what's remarkable to me is it's like, what is the role of journalism? And is the role to act as a megaphone or an amplifier for institutions, whether it's a government or corporations or whatever else? Or is it to interrogate? and to question and to dig and see if the information they are giving is correct. And unfortunately, that New York Times piece and most of the coverage overall has been the CDC says X, and that's literally the article. The CDC, or worse, it's like a study came out and it says blah, you know, and now we're going to write. But that's totally different. When I see the CDC says X, but I saw what X was. X was kids need to wear, I'm like, you're you mean to tell me a kid's going to wear a mask when they're playing tennis and the other kids. Ninety five degrees. Court? Heat. Yeah. yeah. And then now the kid's like <laughs> 40 feet away. Like, yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? This makes no sense. And thank God there were at least a handful of people who were highly credentialed. Not that you needed someone like that. because a regular person could have told you this, but in order to write an article and make it persuasive, you get the big guns, like the editor-in-chief of General Pediatrics. I had a pediatric immunologist at Columbia University Hospital, like very highly credible people who all said, this is fucking nuts. And within something like 24 hours or so, it was amazing. Walensky, statute was being grilled about it on TV and they were pulling quotes from the article saying That's right. these draconian yeah. measures. And I think the guy may even have brought up the tennis example or something. And she sort of stammered with an answer. You know, he's like, why would a kid need to wear a mask when they're playing tennis? She's like, well, um, you know, we'll have to like look at that again. And then a short while later, they changed the, they changed. the <laughs> So the moral of the story is, is like, once again, I thought everyone else was going to write this piece. And instead, it was the opposite. No one did. And I was like, how is it possible? All, and I'm just some independent journalist, you know, guy. I'm not... Fre- so, I'm freelance not like, guy up in yeah, New York. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I am not... I'm not a staff writer. When you're a staff writer at one of these places, you have all sorts of different resources behind you. And I'm like, particularly at a, at a very, you know, one of the bigger successful institutions, you know, these places uh-huh. that have a zillion dollars. And I'm like, how is it possible None of them, did any of them read the guidelines? And if they did read it, how is it possible? No one thought this was nuts. How is it that it's just me? I'm just some fucking schmuck that I saw this and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I need to write about this immediately because this is wrong. That's the one time I think where I can point to like where it's direct, direct effect where I was like, I need to bring this to light and then the policy changed. It was fucking awesome. That's amazing. Like, that's the one yeah. time where I know like there was a definitive call. Direct, that yeah. And it's not yeah. because I'm special or magical. I just like sure. looked it up and then I contacted the right people who have the, you know, correct credentials to make it believable to the public. You just have to interrogate stuff. You can't just report things just because the CDC says it. That's.
0: But David, they just wanted to keep kids safe. And <laughs> <laughs> who are you? And then and the person in the New York Times or whatever other place, well, that's they're just trying to keep kids safe, and maybe they erred a little bit in overstepping, and uh, perhaps, but that was the ultimate goal was to keep kids safe. Yeah, I can't believe you you're against that.
2: I, I also yes. can't Who believe be that the they pushed yeah. against your stuff. But there was an article, and I was just looking up the how right wing extremists weaponize the idea of motherhood. I made a oh, I remember that one. I made a joke about this because it's. Mm-hmm. Um, I apparently am just sitting around with my red MAGA hat on day after day.
1: Yeah. For, for, for listeners, she making, is wearing a MAGA hat right
2: now.
0: Yes, she <laughs> is. <laughs> it looks new, and there are others hanging on the wall behind right, Yes. <laughs> the whole family word
2: making dinner and sewing KKK hoods. Right. Yes. Yeah. That was literally the article. Always. And I'm like, this can be published. Like, yeah. this is insane. I can't, who thinks I can sew?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: Like, I mean, and so that, you know, they made everything political and they weaponized moms. I could go on with, I mean, this could be like a clearly like a 10 part (laughs) series (laughs) on on COVID and kids. But that's what, that's what my thing is.
0: So, David, we've taken too much of your time. I have one final question. Oh, man, oh yeah, we well, never have two final. About
2: how,
1: We didn't do the topic of the talk, which was. How well, that was like what it was going to be. Was <laughs> yeah? You did you?
0: So here, here's what I hear so far: you have to be curious. You have to have a writing skill, I guess. You have to like learn how to write first. I'm assuming did you have a formal, <laughs>
2: educa-
0: a formal education? <laughs>
2: do not a spell.
0: <laughs> yeah, do not a spell, and be make a persuasive argument. Um, you have to have something interesting to write about. You have to have a topic, compile. You've compiled enough on this specific topic that it caused you to say, I should write a book about this whole thing. Where is that process? What can we expect?
1: Um, I'm very slow. Um, I to because, <laughs> song, you know, Methodical. The bless, yeah, the blessing and the curse of like, I just, I'm like a research maniac. So I'm just always, it's almost like a, I don't know if it's like an OCD thing. or something, Like I'm always yeah. like just, digging deeper and deeper, and I should just be writing now. So I'm still, much to my editor's chagrin, I've blown past a few deadlines. So I'm still working on the manuscript, um, which pains me. And because the publisher is MIT Press, um, they have what's called, so there's a small number of academic presses that have what's called a trade division. Trade are like books for regular people. They call those trade books. Um, so MIT has a trade division. Um, so, you know, it's for a popular audience, but... Um, but, um, but it's with them, but, but that also is going to make it a longer process because they have like a peer review element that a regular publisher wouldn't have. So it's going to be a while till it comes <laughs> out, which, you know, makes me like, it's just I, every day I have like a knot in my stomach thinking about how long it's going to be until it comes out. The one upside, and maybe I'm just, you know, trying to rationalize this to make myself feel better, but I think there's some truth behind this. I think there will be value in having the book come out in whatever, a year or two years from now. When The more distance, because I want this to be a historical record and a larger argument. And I think when we're removed a little bit from the heat of the whole thing, when people are still arguing about all this stuff every day with vaccines and everything, yes, I think it would be amazing if the book came out next week. But I think there is value and when, hopefully we will be further removed from, the, imagine like two years from now, we're like, remember when he thought we would be done? But yeah. I, hopefully we'll be further.
0: There, there are plenty <laughs> we'll of be... people on Twitter who will not be done with yeah. it. At no, point. never, never. <laughs> right. but
1: so, so it's, so it's going to be a while until it comes out just because I'm still working on it. And then even once I turn it in, then there's a whole long process um, with them. But I think that might enable some people maybe who wouldn't be receptive to it now to be more, you know, once people, you know, it's the, you know, when you have the the distance of of time, because I want I'm approaching it, you know, from, I hope people can approach it just non emotionally, you know, dispassionately, what is the case this guy is making here? Um, And the book basically is an anatomy of decision-making. So hopefully there's about American schools, but hopefully what, you learn from reading it. And I don't hammer this away like explicitly. It's not like a self-help book or stuff. But hopefully what you will pull from it is it has a larger kind of lessons about how society functions, how people think, tribalism, and stuff of that nature, that although it's about American schools, there's something much larger when you think about decision-making. So Mm -hmm. um, I have very, very little in the book about like these, like... Vignettes and anecdotes of, of bad things happening to kids. I'm very glad that other journalists like Alec McGillis with his piece and Anya um, you know, with her book, like that's important stuff to really um illustrate the, the experiences on a personal level that kids went through. But so I'm very glad that they've done that um because that frees me up to do what I'm interested in more. So there's very little of the kind of anecdote stuff woven in. Instead, it's just like a giant mallet crushing your skull with facts You it's know, just saying like <laughs> here's my case for all these different this kind of kaleidoscope of like all these different facets of society from politics to media to to public health to all these different pieces and how the decision making happened on policy and how the decision-making happened in regular people's minds about the things that were happening. And I'm kind of just, taking it apart in all these pieces and showing what took place.
2: A how-to guide of what not to do. Yeah, and a
1: how not to do guide. <laughs>
0: right? yeah. Well, no, but I think, yeah, there's there's so much psychologically that's involved and obviously politically and everything else that um, if you're able to compile that into a single volume, I'll be mightily impressed. And well, I think that's, that's probably why it's safe. And think, yeah. yeah, things keep changing as you're doing it, you know? Yeah, uh, but
1: I'll tell you, Nick, you know what's funny? Most of the book takes place very early on because yeah. I don't want to give too much away but the <laughs> um all of the themes that are happening right now in you know October 2022 they were already happening in the spring of 2020 mm-hmm. so there are that so while yes like there's new developments you know in the plot you know new things are happening the themes and all the major ideas already happened Like, we're just repeating them now. There's nothing new that's happening now. So I actually have just like, I was going to say a magnifying glass. It's not even, it's like a microscope on a very relatively finite period of time where I'm just, because, and I intended it to stretch out further and I'll probably do some sort of like um, epilogue or something where I talk, you know, very breezily about, you know, you know, 2021 or whatever and moving forward from there. But, but, um, I found that i have been unable to kind of like, All right, now I'm going to blast through um, August. And then it turns out like, you know, 80 pages later, I'm still, it's August 3rd. <laughs> 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 because all these things were happening at once and they yeah. all represent what was to come and what's still happening now. It's very fascinating, but it's like, I, I don't know, I'm sure there's some, you know, a uh, uh, metaphor for this or something, but like everything that we think is new is not new. Yeah. Um, and it's all there and it, it depending how far you push in that microscope you're going to see all of it right there yeah um so it's it's, it's in that regard it's it's very fascinating to me um, yeah i'm excited. Hopefully it'll be fun and interesting maybe, maybe fun's not the right word but i hope it's going to be interesting and you know there's a ton of stuff that i haven't written about that i have in the book too that hopefully is going to you know blow some lines <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: awesome
2: um i do want to give a shout out to my anesthesiologists, the people that did my epidural yes and I wonderful had my anesthesiologists
0: eating. everywhere yeah
2: yeah right? because you know what you totally made me think of that and yeah everyone
1: buy invisibles
2: i mean i would literally go get an epidural today if i could i mean it was just <laughs> it was amazing
0: so my, my our our firstborn, uh, I don't. I think they missed on the epidural. Speaking you know, of this, was this person was not invisible, and so it was in there, but I don't think it was functioning. And then when my wife had our second, she was like, "That's what it's supposed to feel." Oh, okay, now I get yeah. it.
1: Right? Yeah, I get it. <laughs>
0: well, All right. Here, here's my question. It's unrelated. Okay. I think we should start asking this of everybody, Megan. I'm just gonna throw it is out there. A and speed if you're,
1: round at the end or no? That's the speed hard. round. It's sort
0: of that. I was thinking I of multiple ones, but I think this one I go with. It's one of my favorite questions to ask people. Okay. You're familiar with master class, yeah, these online seminar things where you I learn how so. to yeah. barbecue and you learn how to speed. Day. I don't know. There are lots of things. Okay. If the master class company organization came to you. Mm-hmm. because they knew you were the best in the world at something. You were the world's foremost expert at
1: Jesus. Bleh. And
0: uh-huh. they said, David, we want you to teach a master class in whatever this thing is. What would you do? It doesn't have to be writing. I mean, I know that right. that is yeah. your specific. In fact, I'd probably prefer it not be writing because it's kind of, I mean, I already expect that. But if you want to say writing,
1: you can. Um, you know, like yeah. uh, iron on on. on um, <laughs>
0: if you were the best in the world at anything. What, what thing would it be? Megan's would be smoking meats. I know that for yeah, sure.
1: Is that what you wish? To <laughs> be <better
2: at? laughs> I have no idea where that came from. And I also.
0: You're skating.
1: <laughs> I, I'm going to give you like a super lame answer. I feel like no, I go. Mean, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of things that I love that I wish I was better at. Okay. That's not a good answer for you, though. So you like-
0: actually one, <laughs> one of them. What? Like Steph Curry taught the basketball one. Would you have rather they had come to you? That you were you were the world's best if basketball
1: I, player.
0: Um, it's a terrible question. I guess it's
1: <laughs> very hard. I mean, I would list a few. I mean, I used to play music a lot years ago. I mean, I wish yes. I was like amazing, amazing songwriter. And music, Are you a guitarist? Running, you yeah, a guitarist? I played guitar, songwriter. Like my- I, I would, Yeah, I mean, I guess I could distill it down. Like I wish I, you know, like. If you could be a rock star or something, you know, like, but be good so, at. I it.
0: think songwriting would be a great one, actually. To yeah, say, all right, it's, we it's need to do, do masterclass on songwriting. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, I would say that that would be up there. If I if if I had those skills, that yeah. would be that's something that I you know would have long for also director, film director. Oh yeah. Um, I'm gonna say one that's no one can can qualify it because everyone it's highly subjective. Um, I wish I was a better parent.
2: I oh, feel,
1: yeah i mean i think about that often i constantly am making mistakes i know that's normal and everyone does <laughs> but it's the thing that like bothers me so much i'm like i can't believe i did that again
0: can't believe i reacted like that exactly why well, yeah. you know
1: you know i need yeah. better emotional regulation you know yeah. like why did i get so mad i'm like yeah. i wish i was better at that like it's it's yeah. am- i'm constantly surprised at how frequently i like do something where i'm like ah Right, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's either what your parents That's did a sign or the awesome. a good,
2: This is kind of a good parent. You're, I guess, reflecting, I hope. you're reflecting on that and you know I at mean at least
1: self aware I still could be shitty but at least I'm self aware <laughs> exactly. of how poor of a
2: parent I am
0: okay. no, I, I, yes. I have that conversation with my kids with more frequency than I should where I have to apologize because I said something or did something then I'm like that was like when they're in therapy someday they're going to be thinking back to this <laughs> well, was, and and I've got to say like I am so imperfect and uh, I'm like uh, you know apologize and ask for their forgiveness for that and, and uh, I wish it was Greg on Twitter actually Greg Gonzalez
1: yeah yeah it's funny you say that though nick because one of the th- because i may make mistakes but i'm quick to apologize I'm, yeah. i think i'm a good person because not everyone can apologize not everyone's yeah. good at that and i've seen in my kids they also are good at that so that's one thing that i'm glad for now obviously ideally it's better if you don't screw up to begin with then you don't have to apologize right. <laughs> but it's hard i'm sure you both know plenty of adults who like they don't apologize it's Really fucking, and even in personal life or professional life, there's just so many people, it's like, just fucking apologize. You made yeah. a mistake. It's totally fine. You made a mistake, but people can't just admit it. They can't, yeah. including even like Fauci or something, you know, with the, like just admit it, man. Just fucking admit it. Right. Certain yeah. things, but you can't, people are too afraid. So if nothing else, although I continue to screw up repeatedly, at least I am modeling a behavior that I value, which is knowing how to apologize. Yeah. Um when, when you make a mistake and my kids do that. are, are pretty good with that too. Um so that, yeah. that's you know, that's one. I'm starting the master class on how to apologize by that's right. Fox. It's gonna <laughs> yeah. sign up next week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six sessions. Megan, you know, do you have what? a master class that you if you could teach a master class on anything? They came to you. You're the world's foremost expert at.
2: Um well I did, I like Sled. So, no, what is with you? And guess just come up I with ideas. Is, I, I don't mean, know. <laughs> smoking meats and bobsledding. Um, no, I, well, I kind of was like singing because I love to sing, but I'm a terrible singer.
0: Mm. Yeah, Are amazing. you a Taylor Swift fan? That album just came out.
2: It was a I,
1: one good song on it so far. That, that, that not,
2: but I always like, do this with her albums. I'm always like, oh, I'm not crazy about a ton. And then I become like more and you more. Play it
1: till so you like it. Yeah.
2: So this it's one, I'm still hard. trying to. Have
1: you heard, you heard the song, the new single? I've not. I've not. <laughs> <I'm laughs> not. to in car with my son. Yes, it.
2: Wow. I wish I could be a songwriter like her. I'll make my mom laugh. I would teach a master class on patience.
1: Oh, that would be amazing. of ties into yeah, it at That's all. Perfect. And yeah. my
2: mom used to tell me when I was a kid, Megan, you need to pray for patience. Pray for patience, mm. Megan. Megan, you need to pray for patience. So she's getting a good laugh. If I said uh, they came to me to teach a masterclass on patience,
1: can I say yeah. one other? I just thought of one other thing. This is like <laughs> kind of like a macro response yeah. that just occurred <laughs> to me while Megan, while you were talking, which is, I think most people, or at least me, it almost doesn't even matter. It just would be great to be great at something. Something, yeah. I just like the note because so few of us are. Truly exceptional, exceptional at anything in particular. So, to be the feeling of being amazing at something, it doesn't matter what it is in a way that's less important than just if you could teach a master class on something, if you were truly qualified, that alone, who cares what it's about? Just imagine the feeling of being the best. Good enough that you're the guy
0: to come to. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That would be amazing. Yeah. That's cool. But we've got um, to just you know muddle through in our mediocrity and do yeah.
0: No, well, I, I was gonna say that um to sort of reiterate what Megan said that um over the last three years-ish, I can't believe it's is it really? I don't know. Um you have had an enormous influence on a ton of people, and uh, and I think it's a combination of your um, intellectual curiosity, your ability to form sentences. <laughs> um and uh, no for real and your desire to sort of like just get to the bottom of things and uh so and um, what's funny is yeah i was a journalism major and i decided i didn't want to do journalism uh obviously but like that what those characteristics that you have are what caused me to even consider that as a profession right it's like that's what a i feel like a journalist should be is someone who's curious and is willing to question the narrative uh, that is created out there and um, and then go and apply that and use their ability to write and you're a fantastic writer and to be able to communicate something and an idea and a thought that's more than 200 and... How many characters you get on Twitter? 200 and whatever characters?
2: I don't know, 240. 280.
0: 280? I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, so anyway, if that was your goal when you went into Jerusalem, you have accomplished that and you continue to and we appreciate it.
2: Yes. Well
1: very kind oh. of you guys. To
2: We're see. looking forward to your book. Thank Can you. I get a signed yes. copy?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Are you going to be signing Are you going to do a book tour at the Barnes and Noble? Do they still have Barnes and Noble?
1: I'm definitely going to do some sort of tour though, if I'm able, you know, if people are interested in having me hundred yeah. percent in my mind all along. I'm like, I'm gonna go everywhere and just as long as there's enough people to make the cost, you know, so I'm not losing money, I'll I'll go everywhere.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we'll sponsor your tour when you come awesome. to Charlotte. And when you go to the upper Midwest.
2: Upper Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> referring to it, is, that...
0: <laughs> is that what it is? I don't know.
2: Yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Cool. David Zwag, you're the man. We so appreciate your time that you don't so gave you much, much of it to us today. I know you're busy and you got better things to do, but um,
1: I think you guys are like, awesome. And when you DM'd me, we're like, Do you want to do the podcast? I was like, sure. If it's like Nick Boy is asking me to do something, done. Yeah, I wish more people. That was, that was people my had attitude. Seriously, man.
2: Like you, have you don't really like, care
1: whether you have most one are listener. Like, or, hell no, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. Good.
0: All right, sir. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you. you. It,
1: Thanks for having me.